Good morning. Thank you for the lovely music. The very fitting music. Okay, how am I? Matt Chandler has a book on the book of Philippians. And in it, he shares the story of one of his first elders who received a serious cancer diagnosis. He explained that it was the bad kind of cancer that was to spread very quickly. He likened the diagnosis to receiving a death sentence. But he explained this particular man was not anxious or worried. Instead, he had the peace of God. In fact, Chandler wrote that throughout the entire ordeal, this man was marked by the peace of God. He was marked by it. As I read that, I found myself wondering how I would handle such a thing. Would I be marked by anxiety or by the peace of God? Since I was right in the middle of teaching this course, I reminded myself that the manna was not yet on the ground for that, but that I hoped, I was thinking, for the sake of my kids and my grandkids, and for the sake of Jesus, I hoped that if I should experience anything like that, I would be marked by the peace of God. And I actually found myself praying something along those lines. And then a question came to mind. Why does it have to be a cancer diagnosis? Why does it have to be a death sentence? You know that piece of mail that came yesterday and is sitting on your counter over there and has you a little on edge? How about that? How about you be marked with the peace of God about that? And what about the latest update from your mother? Or the business problem that's been hanging around like a dark cloud. What about those? Why not be marked by the peace of God with those? And then I found myself thinking of a verse that Jesus says in the book of Luke. He says, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And I realized that I needed to be faithful in the small things if I was ever to be faithful in the large. Instead of being anxious, I needed to be marked by the peace of God even in the small things. Now the question is how do I do that? What do I need to do differently so that I experience peace instead of anxiety? How do we replace the stress and the worry and the anxiety that can be overwhelming at times, how do we replace that with the peace of God? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We cannot have a course on anxiety without visiting this passage. Philippians chapter 4. We are going to be starting in verse 4. And I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version this day, today. Philippians 4, verse 4, says this. Rejoice 
in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. Okay, this is our last week on the course of worry and anxiety. And this morning, we want to reiterate a few things that we've already talked about, and we want to nail down a couple of new things before we close out this study, and we're going to use this passage to do it. Now, before we dig into this passage, we want to put it in context. So, we're going to turn back a few pages to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, says this. Paul and Timothy bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Okay, this is the greeting or the opening of the letter. It's telling us who wrote the letter. It's telling us who it's to. All right, now I want you to um, skip down to verse 5. Verse 5 says, In view of your participation in the gospel, from the first day until now. Some of your versions may say partnership in the gospel. All right, now, if we were to keep reading, we would find that Paul is writing from prison and he has great affection for the people that he's writing to. Okay, this is a very tender letter to the Philippians that are participating in the gospel. In other words, they're believers. All right, now, let's keep that in mind. And we're going to plug that back in and go to back to chapter 4, verse 6. Because we're going to find out some more things about these Philippians. All right? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. All right, now there's the word that we have been studying through this whole course, that word anxious. We said in the Greek it was merimnau. And we talked about that the first week. We said that it meant to divide the mind. All right, it means that we are talking about being double-minded rather than single-minded. Jesus used it that first week when we looked at the, Matthews, uh, the passage in Matthew, and now this week Paul is using it. And he tells them to be anxious for nothing. Now, if you write in your Bibles, you can write the word command next to that because that's exactly what this is. All right, this is not a suggestion. It is not encouragement meant to make your life easier. It is a command. Now, in fact, in the Greek construction, it indicates that this is a command that Paul is prohibiting an action that has already been taking place. In other words, the Philippian saints have been habitually anxious. Much like the American saints are now. And Paul is saying to them, you are always worried. You are habitually anxious. Stop 
stop now. You are in partnership with the gospel. You should not be marked by worry and anxiety. Next, I want you to notice the extent that he says for nothing. That literally means not even one thing. There are no exceptions. There are no gray areas. Now, this does not mean that we are not to care or be concerned about things, and we've talked about that this whole course. In fact, I want you to look back at verse 5. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. All, all believers, we are to be known as gentle and gracious and caring, but not anxious. We're not to be torn in different directions. We're not to be anxious about one thing. Now, with a room this size, I'm sure there are many of you that are dealing right now with things that are very serious and very difficult. And do you realize that you are commanded not to be anxious about any of it? Not even one. And then he tells us why. I would draw an arrow from the phrase, be anxious for nothing, to the phrase immediately before it, the Lord is near. They go together. As a believer in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you now have a reason not to be anxious about anything. The Lord is near. Now, sometimes... That expression, the expression, the Lord is near, is taught. It's referring to the return or the second coming of Jesus. And then there are others that will teach that this means the very presence of God is near. Okay, listen, both are true. Both are game changers. Here is our first point. Number one, the nearness of God is the greatest source of confidence and spiritual stability to the children of God. Paul wants us to understand that we are not to worry because God is with us. Anxiety is inappropriate in the presence of God. Okay, and I, and I don't want you to forget where Paul is writing. He's writing from prison. So he's not saying don't worry because God is near and he's going to make sure that nothing bad happens to you. Okay, no. No, he's saying, the Lord is near, be anxious for nothing. Whatever happens, you will not walk this alone. As we sang this morning, God has promised to never leave you or forsake you. All right. But what about those times when things are stressful or difficult and you feel yourself starting to be torn and you feel yourself starting to become anxious. And your mind, it starts making that cross between healthy concern over to worry and anxiety. What are you to do then? How are we to handle that temptation? Well, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are to pray. You are to interrupt the worry and start praying. The anecdote to worry is prayer, pure and simple. Here's our next point. Number two. Prayer is our chief means of combating worry and anxiety. 
prayer is the anecdote. Now, it may be that you are marked by worry and anxiety because you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. It may be for others that you are marked by anxious, that you are anxious and worried because you don't pray like you should. Or maybe you don't know how to pray instead of worry. Well, if so, Paul is going to help us with that. Let's take a look at what he teaches. There are at least three different words here that Paul uses for prayer. I have them on your paper. The first one is the word prayer, and you can write next to that generic or general. All right, because he's starting with a very generic word for prayer in the Greek language, and it literally means speak to God. Speak to God. It means prayer addressed to God as an act of worship and devotion. So Paul is saying, stop worrying and instead speak to God. Okay? And this is very typical of Scripture, by the way, where it's going to tell us to stop one activity and instead replace it with something new. And in this case, it is very clear it is not rocket science. God is saying, believers, those of you who are in participation with the gospel, stop worrying and instead speak to me. I am near. Speak to me. Take your eyes off your circumstances, take your eyes off yourselves, and speak to me. Here's our next point, number three. Prayer is, in its most basic form, is worshipful conversation with God. When I was a young teenager, I was probably in about the eighth or ninth grade, <clears throat> I did a lot of babysitting. I babysat almost every week and um, weekend. And there was this one couple in particular that liked to play cards, and they would stay out late doing that. And um, as the night got late, I would start to feel anxious. I would hear things, and it wasn't my house, so I didn't know what they were. Now, this was before we had cell phones, so I didn't text my dad or I didn't call my dad on a cell phone or anything like that. Um, and I didn't want to call the, the family uh, telephone and wake everybody up. And so I did the only thing that I knew to do, and that was I would get up off the couch and sing. I would sing, I would walk around, and I would sing the songs that um, we would sing on Sunday night at church, the choruses. I would sing the, the praise songs that we would sing in my youth group. I would sing the little songs that we taught the children in Sunday school. Basically, I was singing anything that I, could, that I had memorized but I would sing and tell God how wonderful he was. And I would sing and tell him that he was able and that he was master. I would have this little mini praise service right in the middle of that family room. And you know what? It was very effective. I never once had to call my family. I never once spent the night nervous and anxious. I was 14 years old, I was new in my faith, and I was learning that when I worshiped and adored God, he dispelled my fears. Here's our next point, number four. Our first priority when combating fear and worry should be to focus on God in worship 
and adoration. Prayer is going to God with your adoration. It's acknowledging who he is and what he does. That's what those songs were doing. It's directing your heart and your minds on God. And Paul is saying, this is what you are to do. We are to be anxious for nothing, but instead talk to God. Go to God in worshipful conversation. All right, the next word Paul uses for prayer is supplication. Okay, that is an entreaty, a plea supplicating for one's personal needs. Now, next to that word, you can write the word specific or special because now you are pleading and asking for a specific need. All right, and then next to the word requests, you can write the word details. All right, these would be the details about the supplication. God is saying, bring me your details. Bring me your specific needs. Here's our next point. Number five, since we worry specifically, we must pray specifically. God is telling you, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, come to me. Put your focus on me and then make your requests. Ask me for what you need and be specific. Make your requests. It is wrong to worry. It is right to come to me and make your requests. When my daughter was in the eighth grade, she started to public school for the first time. And the days leading up to that and the first few days were very traumatic because she had learned that all of her friends were going to be in a different group and she would know no one. And so she was very anxious about finding her way around the school and about riding the bus, but she was most anxious about who she would sit with during lunch. The thought of sitting alone in the lunchroom was terrifying. Now, I could reason with her and try to talk to her and try to calm her down about you know, middle school lunch period. And I'm sure I tried. But God's word had given me very clear instruction on how I was to help her battle her anxiety. And so we started to pray. And we got very specific. We prayed and we confessed to God that we were anxious about lunch period. We prayed that she would not have to sit alone. We prayed that God would help her. We'd pray at night, and then we would pray again at the kitchen table in the morning before she left for school. We prayed very specifically, and then she came home, and I would ask her very specifically, how did it go at lunch? Now, I know that the world is filled with problems far more serious than my daughter's lunch plans. In fact, by comparison, her problems would seem trivial. But here's the thing. God's instruction did not tell me to make comparisons. It did not come 
with a rating system. God's word said to be anxious for nothing and instead pray about everything. And since the thought of walking into a middle school cafeteria made her anxious, that qualified. Middle school lunch plans falls under the umbrella about pray about everything. And so she was to make her requests specifically. And God answered. And pretty soon we were praying about the other things that she worried about. And do you know that God showed himself faithful and kind to my daughter. She was 13 and she had become a believer years earlier, but she would tell you that was the year God became real to me. Okay, next. Next to the words supplication and requests, in big letters you want to write with thanksgiving with thanksgiving, because we are not just to pray in any old fashion. We are to pray with thanksgiving. Susie and Kathy Montleone, they were sisters that lived in the house behind mine, and they were my best friends. Once a year, they would go to Florida and visit their family for three weeks, and I was lonely and miserable the entire time they were gone. I adored them. But when I was in seventh grade, I learned that they were moving to Florida permanently, and I was devastated. I could not imagine life without them. But that was also the year that I became a Christian, and would you believe one of the first lessons I can remember learning in Sunday school was from a passage in 1 Thessalonians that said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks. I was brand new in my faith, but I could understand this verse. And I knew that it was something that I needed to obey. And so I can remember very clearly walking down the street and praying, God, your word says that I am to give thanks in everything. And if I understand this correctly, I am to thank you that my best friends are moving. My heart is breaking. I'm filled with sorrow. But this is what your word says, and I trust you. Now, I didn't have a clue why God would move my best friends away. That would actually make a lot of sense years later. All I knew was that God had saved me and that Jesus had become real to me and that there was a joy in my heart that I couldn't explain and he was helping me to navigate the seventh grade. And the reality is that's what I was thankful for. I was thankful that he saved me. I was thankful that he took care of me. I was thankful that he loved me. And, and I was grateful for all of those things. Okay, that is the idea of praying with thanksgiving. 
when we humble ourselves and we say to God, I am so thankful that I am your child and that you take care of me and I can trust you for the details of my life. Let me ask you, is that your attitude when you pray? You see, one of the problems with anxiety and worry is what it's communicating. When we worry and when we stress and when we're filled with anxiety, what we are really saying to God is, listen, you can't be trusted with this. Yes, you saved me and you took away my sin. Thank you for that. But all this other stuff that's going on in my life, I really can't trust you with it. Now, when it came to praying for my daughter's lunch period issues, worries, God brought this wonderful, sweet, wholesome young girl along, and she and my daughter became very good friends, fast friends, and everything worked out sweeter than we ever could have imagined. Now, is that the promise? Is God promising that everything will work out? Is Paul telling you, to be anxious for nothing and instead pray about everything with thanksgiving because everything is going to be smooth sailing. Suffering is for pagans. If you're a believer and you worship God and you pray with thanksgiving, then your circumstances are all going to work out and everything is going to be fixed or else they'll go away. Is that what he's saying? No, certainly not. But listen, the promise is for something even more mind-blowing. The promise is that when we stop worrying and pray instead, God will give us his peace. He will guard our hearts and minds with a peace that surpasses all human understanding. The promise is that when we stop worrying and pray instead, he will do something mind-boggling. He will swap out our anxiety for his peace. Here's our next point, number six. Anxiety and peace are polar opposites. Polar opposites. Now, before we elaborate, <clears throat> I want us to define what we mean by peace because that's a major theme that we see all throughout the scriptures. All right, first of all, the Bible speaks of the peace with God, and I have these on your paper. <clears throat> peace, of God, peace with God is reconciliation with God through trusting Jesus. Now, next to that one, you can write at salvation, or you could even write at justification because that's when the peace with God takes place. The Bible teaches that you were born a sinner, alienated, and at enmity with God. All right, now sometimes you'll, you'll hear people say, well, I was, I've always been a Christian, or I was born a Christian. Well, not according to the, to the Bible, they weren't. Right, the Bible says that they were born at war with God. All right, they were born hostile and at war with their creator, and there was only one way for a peace treaty, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. He literally became the peace offering and the mediator so that we could have peace with God. All right, that's the first kind of peace, but that's not the peace that this verse is talking about. This verse is talking about the peace of God. Now, how is that different? Well, I have the definition for that. 
It's coming from Charles Stanley. He says, peace of God is an inner sense of contentment and quietness regardless of life's circumstances. Now in verse 7, Paul tells us that peace, the peace of God, is going to guard, and that word means garrison, it's going to garrison our hearts and minds. All right, then take a look at verse 8, because he's going to elaborate on our mind. He says this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Paul wants us to think about what we think about, okay, when it comes to worry and anxiety. All right, let me ask you, what do you think about? What does your mind dwell on? What do you let your eyes see? Because this all affects your peace. According to this passage, when a thought comes into your mind and you are tempted to dwell on it, or ruminate on it. You need to lift it up and line it up next to this verse. You need to ask, okay, wait a minute. Is that pure? Is that right? Is there any excellence? Because if it's not answering yes, yes to those questions, you need to reject it. You need to kick it out. I read a story about a woman whose grown son bought a motorcycle to use as his only source of transportation. And she said she became consumed with worry about him. The thought of it made her sick. And every time she saw a motorcycle, she was chilled with anxiety. She said she had visions of ghastly accidents and they haunted her. But she knew that she could not survive in that state of agitation and that she needed to apply her Christian faith to her anxiety. This is what she wrote. My way of doing this was through prayer. I decided that when I saw a motorcycle and worry tried to grip me, I would simply pray. I would reject mental images of twisted metal and broken limbs and instead prayed for Robert's safety and health as well as for the person on the motorcycle I was seeing. She obeyed this verse. She prayed, but she also guarded what she was dwelling on and what she was thinking. When she have a thought of twisted metal or broken limbs, she rejected it because it wasn't true, because it wasn't lovely, because it wasn't right. Those visions that crept into her mind and they added to her worry and anxiety, she rejected them. They did not qualify for brain space. They did not meet the standards for what God said, dwell on these things. Some of you are feeding your anxieties based on what you allow yourself to think about. Some of you are feeding the fire. You should memorize this list. Notice the first thing on it, whatever is true. Now there's a reason that is first. So much of what we are worried about and anxious about would never pass the first test. So much of what you're worried about, you don't even know for sure if it's true. So God's word would say, stop. Stop dwelling on it. You need to reject that thought. Here's our next point. Number seven. We must remember 
What we think on and what we look at influences where our minds go. Now, before we close out, we need to address the sovereignty of God because it's useless to talk about eliminating anxiety in our lives and without discussing the truth of the sovereignty of God. If God is not sovereign and our lives are not in the hands of a loving and holy God, then we should be worried. Now, if you were here when we studied the book of Esther, we spent an entire semester talking about the sovereignty of God. Today, I want to review two points from that. And I have them on your papers. First is the definition of God's sovereignty. We said God's sovereignty is his absolute rule and control over all of the events and circumstances of his creation. That was the first. And then the second, we want to distinguish between the sovereignty of God and the providence of God. And I want to give you the definition from that. It came from Jerry Bridges. He said the providence of God is his constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and the good of his people. Now, I would um, have you circled the words his people. Because if you are a child of God, the Bible tells us that God is always at work for your good and his glory. Now, he can do that sovereignly. He can do that providentially. He might do something miraculous. He might, through, he might work through something uh, very ordinary. It might involve suffering. But either way, we know that it will be for our good and his glory. Now, your homework had an important lesson about the sovereignty of God. Here's what our next point is. Number eight. Because God is sovereign, things are not always as they seem. Because God is sovereign, things are not always as they seem. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. We want to take a closer look at this. Um, this was a part of your reading in your homework this past week. It is the story of the king of Aram, that would be modern Syria, who was at war with Israel. And he determines that he's going to make a lot of his problems go away if he can capture the prophet Elisha. So we're going to pick up in verse 13. This is 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 13 says this. And he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Okay, the servant wakes up to find that he, they are completely desperate. They are completely surrounded. 
they are completely outnumbered. His assessment is that the situation is hopeless. But because God is sovereign, things are not always as they seem. Now, I want you to keep your finger here because we're coming back, but turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, that's New Testament. Mark chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the boat, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Okay, the disciples thought that Jesus didn't care. They thought that they were all going to drown. But when Jesus is on the boat, things are not always as they seem. Now, the Bible is filled with these. We're going to look at one more. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Several books over the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. That man thought he was going to be lame for the rest of his life. He thought he was destined to spend his life begging for alms. But when Jesus is a part of the equation, things are not always as they seem. You may be in a very anxious situation right now. Things may seem very bleak and hopeless. Maybe you feel surrounded or outnumbered. Maybe you have a situation that seems like God does not care. Maybe you have a situation that seems like things will never change and you are destined to live out your life in some dreary situation. But here's the reality. Things are not always as they seem. 
You don't know what God has been doing behind the scenes. You do not know if he's going to do something miraculous or whether he will just work through the ordinary. You do not know all the things that he has got going on. Am I suggesting that every time you face a difficulty, you, could, you should cry out to God and ask for something big and miraculous like we saw in these examples? No. I'm just saying that things are not always as they seem. We do not know all that God is doing. What we do know is that God is sovereign and he's loving and he is wise and he is righteous and that everything he does is for our good and his glory. Now, this is something that you need to teach your children and your grandchildren, that God is sovereign and things are not always as they seem. One day you're going to have a teenage daughter and she's going to come to you and she's going to be distraught and anxious and feeling like her life is ruined. Well, you can help prepare her for that day by teaching her that our God is sovereign and that he rules the earth with power and wisdom and grace. And because of that, Things are not always as they seem. Now, let's look at one more thing before we close. Turn back to 2 Kings. 2 Kings, that same passage. Chapter 6, verse 17 says this. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And God opened his eyes. That servant was able to see a mountain and it was covered with horses and chariots of fire. And that changed the servant's thinking and it changed his anxieties. It changed his perspective. He now had a new one. Now some of you are thinking, well, if my eyes were open like that, I could deal with stuff too. I wouldn't be anxious. If God would allow me to supernaturally see angels and chariots on the mountains, I wouldn't worry either. Oh, but ladies, God gives us something better. He gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. And listen, that is supernatural. You can't conjure that up on your own. Every time we are anxious and we pray and we practice these things that Paul has explained to us, God has promised to guard our hearts and our minds with the peace of God. God is still supernaturally opening eyes. Here's our final point. We'll close out with this. Number nine, anxiety and worry have no power in the face of the supernatural peace of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you that you promise us something far better than fixed circumstances or visions of angels. 
You promise us your supernatural peace. Father, my prayer is that we will be women that will take these truths that you have shown us in your word and help us to cling and hold on to them. Help us to be like that woman in the story that practices them and, and obeys them in the way that we pray, in the way that we think, so that we can bring you glory in all that we do. And we pray and ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ladies, we will see you after the holidays. Have a wonderful holiday. And if you want to get started, start reading up on the book of James. See you after the holidays. <laughs>